stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Yeah, one of the biggest songs off one of the biggest albums of all time, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, off the 1977 album Bat Out of Hell by the man they called Meatloaf. Meatloaf, rock star, rock legend, actor, uh, passed away this week at the age of 74. He certainly had an impact, had an influence. He was very unique. Now, Battle to Hell uh, was his first smash, but it was not his first work. He had been in a couple of bands, was actually uh, signed to Motown as a recording artist. Battle to Hell was a project he had been working on for some time uh, with composer Jim Steinman. Obviously, the two had a very close relationship, became strained at various points uh, down the road, including a big fight in the 90s over who got to record the song It's All Coming Back to Me Now, which... Ended up as a smash hit for Celine Dion. Uh, but the two were very much joined at the hip, and they combined to make Batter to Hell a massive success. So Meatloaf, as mentioned, passed away this week at the age of 74. Joining us to talk about his, uh, his life, his legacy, his influence, his impact, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Alan Cross, music writer, broadcaster, historian, host of the ongoing history of new music, much more at a journalofmusicalthings.com. Alan, great to have you with us here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, walking outside with the senior English bull terrier in the snow. Oh, well, <laughs> yes, and quite a bit of snow you had uh, in your neck of the woods oh. there this week. Alan, what can you say about uh, Meatloaf? Just kind of one of a kind, really, wasn't he? He really was. He was a, a larger-than-life character who probably would have never achieved any kind of success, or certainly the success that he had, had he not met Jim, Jim Steinman. Now, Jim Steinman was looking for someone to be a vehicle for his music. He had this thing about... Of creating these Wagnerian rock and roll operas, and you need a specific type of person, a specific type of voice, to be able to carry that off properly. And Meatloaf held something. He had a voice which was known as a Helden tenor. That translates as heroic tenor, and that's a type of voice that is very powerful. It can belt out, um, you know, into big, big rooms, and. Um, is, is quite rare. Um, most held in tenors don't come along until they're in their late 20s or early 30s. But with Meatloaf, the story is that he was at a track and field meet in Dallas when he was in high school, and somebody lobbed a, a 12-pound shot put into the back of his head, and after he recovered from the injury, he found that he could sing in this rather amazing sort of way. And when Battle of Hell came out in October of 1977, there was really nothing that sounded like it. It was kind of, sort of concept album, kind of, kind of proggy, but at the same time, it was about as far away from punk as you could get. It wasn't disco, which was also really big. Yet at the same time, it became this massive hit. Eventually, uh, five of the seven songs on the album were released as singles. And it ended up selling somewhere north of 43 million copies, making it one of the top 10 selling albums of all time. 
And it was interesting because, you know, from what I've been reading, it, it wasn't necessarily warmly received by critics. And, and maybe at the time they weren't sure what to make of it. Its initial charting position, like it didn't rocket up to number one. Like this was definitely a slow burn, wasn't it? It, it didn't even make number, the top ten. If you, yeah. if you go back to the Billboard album charts, you'll see that it peaked, I think, at number 14, which, you know, when you think about it, is, is, is pretty weird for an album that sold that many. But you're right. You know, back in those days, you could release an album and it would start, as, start slow and then it would burn and burn and burn and burn. And it continues to burn today. Uh, I found it rather fascinating that Battered of Hell still sells 200,000 copies a year in the age of streaming. That's crazy. And you mentioned that relationship with Jim Steinman. So the two sort of had a parting of the ways, and Meatloaf released some albums in the 80s. I think four of them, none of them really did all of that well. I know he went through some issues with his voice, I think, as, as you wrote about, you know, that, that, that held him back. And then here we are, 1993, and I think at that point maybe people thought of Meatloaf as kind of washed up. And so we get the yeah. sequel, Bat Out of Hell 2, 1993, once again, a major smash. It certainly was a major smash. And again, this comes out at the peak of grunge. So yeah. it's not exactly, you know, perfect timing. But that album put Meatloaf uh, back on his feet. He had basically been bankrupt. He had lost his house. He was, uh, you know, suffering with his family. But uh, he finally got back with Steinman. He finally fixed his voice. That album comes out, and it becomes the, the hit that puts him back on the on his feet for the rest of his life basically he continued to tour plus he started getting all these acting gigs he was in 65 movies you might remember him That's in crazy uh wayne's world he was in uh fight club and and so yeah, many fight others. club yes yes fight club's the one that stands out it was i mean i don't know if eerie is the right way to put it like it was kind of a haunting performance that character he played in fight club which is such uh you know an unusual kind of movie to begin with but i think that one yeah. stands out to a lot of people he, he really had some acting chops he did he, he really did i i i believed him uh in, implicitly um what i found strange when i finally met him was he was much smaller than i thought he's shorter than me and not nearly as big i mean if you remember him in fight club he gives Edward Norton, that big hug, and he looks massive, but he's not. He, he was about, well, depending on who you talk to, he's either 5'10 or 6 feet. I go with 5'10. In fact, I go with 5'9. But anyway, he, he, oh, there's another movie, and I'm going to have to see if I can find it tonight. A um, movie called Roadie. A uh, bad movie from the 80s where he played uh, a rock and roll roadie, and I think he was part of, in this movie, he was part of Alice Cooper's road crew. Got to look that up this weekend. Wow. Uh, now, he was born under the name Marvin, later changed his name to Michael, but we all knew him as Meatloaf. And I can still remember as a kid hearing that for the first time. Like, I kind of giggle, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like your name being like casserole or something. It's, it's absurd, but we all got used to it. Like, we just sort of took it for granted. That's his name. That's Meatloaf. Where, where did the name come from? A couple of things. It could have been from his father. Uh, when he was just four months old, his father called him, oh, look, he looks like a meatloaf. Or right. it might have been from his high school football coach because he was a big kid in school and uh, was really good along the uh, offensive line. So that, that could have been it. Uh, I always spelled it wrong. It's two words. It's meatloaf, right. not meatloaf. And uh, it's, uh, 
when you talk to him, you address him as meat. And for a long time, he had meatloaf on his passport. That came to an end really? uh, when he was trying to get into Germany one time, and the Germans didn't really uh, take kindly to that on his passport. So that's when he, he changed the, his passport back to his name. He became Michael. Um, and the reason he became Michael after Martin was because he saw a Levi's ad uh, about Martin not being able to fit into his or Marvin not being able to fit into his Levi's jeans. So he thought, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to become Michael. It was interesting. I mean, following that out of hell, too, uh, you know, Jim Steinman and Meatloaf had another falling out. Meatloaf wanted to record the song, It's All Coming Back to Me Now. Jim Steinman gave it to Celine Dion. The two ended up in court. But I remember reading, you know, when Jim Steinman passed away, Meatloaf was doing an interview. I think it was maybe with Rolling Stone. Uh, they were talking about Jim Steinman, and he just he started sobbing to the point where he, he hung up. He had to, you know, cut the interview short. I mean, you know, despite the fact that they had that, that acrimony at times, uh, obviously they, they had such a, uh, an important and, and ultimately, I think, a, a lasting relationship. Well, they were like an old married couple that, that squabbled yeah. and squabbled and squabbled, but then realized that they needed each other and had to get back together, which is basically what their what their relationship was. And you can understand why Steinman would get a little fed up with him. I mean, Meatloaf was, uh, for a while, he was heavily into drugs. Um, he was a bit of a loose cannon. He says he's, uh, he fell out of a three-story building once. He's had 17 or 18 concussions. Um, he had problems with his voice. I mean, he, he lost his voice for a while in the early 80s and tried all kinds of weird things to get it back from... Uh, wild ac- acupuncture to even drinking his own urine to make something work. Uh, but it wasn't until things settled down in the late 80s, early 90s, that he needed Simon to, to keep him on the straight and narrow. Well, much more at journalofmusicalthings.com. Alan, appreciate your perspective. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. You're very welcome. All right, stay warm. There you go. Alan Cross uh, joining us uh, from Toronto, taking the dog for a walk and reflecting on the bat out of hell meatloaf. Uh, more at a journal of musicalthings.com. Alan Cross, of course, uh, the host of the ongoing History of New Music, music uh, writer, broadcaster, and historian. So some interesting tidbits about uh, meatloaf. Uh, 1979, he fell off a stage in Toronto and broke his leg. So this is right at the height of uh, the popularity of, of Bat Out of Hell. And there's also a video from 2016 uh, when Meatloaf collapsed on stage in Edmonton. So he's had some, some health issues over the years. In terms of cause of death, now there have been reports, even before word emerged that he had died, that uh, Meatloaf had fallen ill uh, due to COVID. Not sure if that's yet been confirmed as the cause of death. Uh, we'll await further word on that. But it's interesting. I mean, if indeed that was, it was something that Meatloaf said uh, about a year ago. Uh, he had be kind of kind of become frustrated, fed up, I guess, with a lot of pandemic measures and restrictions, and uh, basically said, "Look, if I die, I die. If I get it and I die, then I die." So I don't know if that's yet been confirmed as as the cause of death, but I suppose there would be some uh, some sad irony in that. Anyway, uh, yes, quite a career, quite a journey, a lot of ups and downs. But someone whose, whose legacy, whose music is going to live on long after he's gone. Battle to Hell, for example, it was on the British charts for over 500 weeks. It was, I don't know if it still is, but it was for a long time the biggest selling album ever in Australia. 
So that's quite an impact. And it was obviously, you know, quite a quite an influential album, which still sells, still sells 200,000 physical copies every single year. Meatloaf uh, did at the age of 74. We'll take another quick time out here. We'll be back. More time for your phone calls, a few other things to get to. My name is Rob Breckenridge. Stay with us. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.